Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Paul showed the Jews that their circumcision did not entitle them to God's favor. Their circumcision didn't remove their guilt. Their circumcision was only a reminder to them. Uh, those males every day was a reminder to them of their national pledge as a Jew and part of that nation. But now we have the question as to God's promise being authentic. And that's what Paul addresses in the Holy Spirit's inspiration. Uh, we know that the law, uh, the promise was given apart from the law. And what God did is he found a man standing faithful, Abraham. He saw a man standing faithful in an idolatrous world. And he took note of that. And all throughout scripture, we see God always blessing faithfulness. And all Abraham did, all he did was believe. And that's all we ask people nowadays when we witness. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 4, let's start reading at verse 13. The Bible says, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world. Well, what's that? That's a new world order that you can uh, be excited about. It's it's a believing seed, okay? That's something uh, that you can certainly shout about. Uh, you know, the Jews boasted, well, we have Abraham as our father. His descendants through Isaac we know was promised an inheritance. And so we see that in verse 13 was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. You see that? Well, the Jews can't boast, oh, we have the law. But through what? The righteousness of faith. And you see how it starts off for, meaning he's tying in the previous verses. In other words, because Abraham is the father coincided with faith, well, that also by default makes him and his seed heirs of the promise. And so that, that's all that is leading in into that. Genesis 15, he received justification and it was promised to a man. It wasn't promised to a Jew that was circumcised and that had the law. Why? Because we saw last week, circumcision came later. The law came 430 years later. You don't have to turn there, but Acts 15, it says, uh, but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So why do I bring that up? Well, because Romans 4, especially what we're looking at in these verses, uh, this verse, and even in, well, you can go back to Genesis 15 and Romans 4, refutes the idea that circumcision brought anything of righteousness before God or that the law did. The promise, heirship to Abraham and his seed coming through Mosaic law is being refuted. He didn't have circumcision or the law when he was counted righteous. Okay, so we have that by way of introduction. Let's look at verse 14. For if they which are of the law be heirs, 
faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Go to Hebrews 7. Faith and law are contradictory. If you were made righteous by the law, then faith means nothing. If you were made righteous by the law, promise means nothing. Hebrews chapter 7. Look at verse number 18. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. That's pretty simple. It was unprofitable and weak. Verse number 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God. Law could make perfect. Hebrews 7 makes it abundantly clear that law made nobody perfect. All of our righteousnesses are as what? Filthy rags. I'm telling you, this world wants to hold up their good works to God. And they fail to consider what it costs God. He sent his only begotten son. When you hold up your filthy rag of good works, it's a failure to recognize what it costs Christ to be bruised for our iniquities, to bleed out on the cross of Calvary. Love didn't come cheap for God so loved the world. It cost him. Go to Philippians 2 because when we hold up our good works, we fail to recognize the honor that God gave his son. Philippians chapter number two, the Bible says in verse number eight, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Watch this in verse number nine, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. You hold your works up and try to bring it higher than the name and the honor that God the Father gave the Son. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow. We don't bow at good works. We don't bow at men. Of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess their good works. No, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you know who the glory goes to? God the Father. Now, that's a good place to say amen. That's right, because we, we hold up our filthy rags of righteousness, which we have done. We fail to recognize the honor God gave the Son. Praise his holy name. You don't have to turn there. John 5, 23 says that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Go to Hebrews chapter number nine. Bible says in verse number 14, Hebrews 9, 14. Watch what it says. How much more, Hebrews 9, 14, shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve 
the living God. All that God has done for you and all that God has done for me. And we're going to dare hold up works. They're just dead. They're as dead as you are in your trespasses and sins. They're dead. They're nothing to God. How dare. How dare someone even think to present themselves to God in the fashion of their good works. It's an insult to the glory of God, the holiness of God, and the righteousness of God. It's complete shaking your fist at the one who's holy to try to say, look, look, look what I've got, Lord. Look what I've got. It's a dead work. We preach Christ crucified. We point people to Christ. It's his great work, not our dead works. Isaiah 64, I read a bit to you, you know the verse, but we are all as an unclean thing. All would mean all, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Yeah, but some of them are, stop saying that. Now before God, they're nothing. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That's the problem. That's the problem. People shaking their dead works at God. Merits nothing. Get back to Romans 4. Romans 4, verse number 15. We are on. Let's see what the Bible says. Very simply, because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. So we see a couple of things from here. Number one. The law doesn't bring life. All the law does is bring death and God's wrath. That's all it does. Um, flip back one page and you'll see verse number nine in Romans chapter number three. And while you're at it, get second Corinthians three. Let's get both spots and we'll develop this thought a bit. Can't read this enough. This is so simple to understand. Romans 3, verse number 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understand it. There is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. I'm good. How many times have you heard that? No, I'm good. I'm good. There is none that doeth good. I say, try to tell somebody to say, oh, I'm good. I say, well, the Bible says no one's good. Huh? No, they got to keep moving on. And Sparty, yesterday I said, the guy, likes the good news of Jesus? He goes, no, I, I already got Jesus. Oh, I said, how'd you get him? And uh, his answer was, I never heard this the first time I heard it. I got him from the school of hard knocks. How'd that come about? And he just kind of, you know, and this moved on. If you're a Christian, wouldn't you want to tell another Christian your testimony? You got some, you got some poor guy standing out there in the sun. It's 94 degrees. You would think you would just give him a, a little bit of a pat on the back. And, but no, Christians, I don't know if he was saved or not from his testimony. It didn't sound like he was. But that's just a way of saying, look, I'm good. I don't know what the school of hard knocks is. I don't know if that means life just beats you up enough. 
And one day you realize, I, I, I don't know. If that's the case. I was saved a long time before I got saved because <laughs> it's a new plan of salvation. <laughs> you see, verse 12, they're all gone out of the way, nothing to do with good. Verse 13, their throat is an open sepulcher with the tongues. They have used deceit. Verse 14, mouthful of cursing. 15 feet swift to shed blood, destruction, the misery in their ways, way of peace. Have they not known? Look at the end of verse 20. Therefore, okay, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. It doesn't say by the law is sin. Before the law came, people were what? Sinning. The law came and now you have the knowledge of sin. And the Bible tells us in 1 John that sin is trans, transgression of the law. So now you have something written. Now you know you can point to and say, well, that's right, that's wrong. Because the law brings the knowledge of sin. And that's what happened when the law came. It doesn't save anybody. It just shows them that they are a sinner. 2 Corinthians 3. Look at verse number six. The Bible says, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. You don't have life from the law. The letter of the law kills. Everybody gets that. Look at verse 7. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stone. See that? That's It ministers death unto you and me. Was glorious. It's interesting that God says, look, it ministers death unto you. But at the same time, he calls it glorious. Why? So the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses. For the glory of his countenance, which was glory, was to be done away. Okay, so the question he opposes in verse 8 is, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? The law is the source of death. The ministration of the Spirit is the source of life. In other words, he's trying to draw the contrast. If God's going to say, written in stone, that law is glorious. He's trying to use that as a way to contrast out. You got to see that the spirit that gives life is even that much more glory. That's the whole point of those two verses. Verse number nine, where if the ministration of condemnation be glory, the law condemns the guilty. See that? It doesn't save the guilty. Much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. It's so much more superior in its glory. And Paul is trying to get them to realize in Romans 4, the law ministers death, the spirit ministers life. You need to have life. And he says in Romans 4, look at it. The word that he says is, there is no transgression. Before the law, 
God was not hindered. He still saved by grace, but the law didn't. There was no hindrance there of that written law. Then all of a sudden that law comes into play. And that law just rubs and aggravates is what it did. It's not like the law came and all of a sudden sin arrived. No, sin was there. God is, is saving. God is a forgiving God. And we saw that the obvious example of Abraham. Well, yeah, he's a sinner, but he believed God. God counted it as righteous. There's no law there. There's no circumcision there. God's still a God of grace. Now you have some aggravating thing that now comes onto the scene. That's the law. And it just aggravates sin. It should point us to our sinnership and show our guilt before a holy God. That's what it should do. I guess you could say it like this. The progression is you got a sinner. You got the written law comes onto the scene. Now you have a transgression. Of the law. And then the natural byproduct of that would be the consequence of God's wrath. So if you can get a picture in your mind of how that's playing out. Can you know right and wrong without the law? Yeah, your conscience. You know, we went through those dispensations on a Thursday night, went through those. But now that law comes in and aggravates even more, gives man another excuse. Look, before God, you're guilty. You know what the law can do? It can diagnose your sin and my sin. But it can't stop. The law can show you and I that we're wrong. But the law can't stop you and I from doing wrong. They want to take the Ten Commandments down because they don't want to show people that they're wrong. That's the motive behind that. Uh. But we kind of did have not the law, but we had a law, a more important way. I guess a more biblical way to say it would be one law. The old saying, forbidden fruit is sweet. It was because God said to Eve and Adam. You can eat of all the trees. So that law, in a sense, tells you you can't do this. And man, by nature, says, now I'll do it. Now, isn't that the truth? Try raising kids. Don't do that. And whatever that is, they're doing that. Because there's something in man. And I've been there as much as you've been there. If you can remember back when you were a kid, mom or dad said, don't do this. And you just have to do it. Being told not to do flares up a desire for us to do. It's rebellion. Now, I'm not talking about the flip side of it where you have this absolute controlling out of whack idea that some well this is how you get cults <laughs> you know nobody can think unless whoever the guru is tells them they have permission to think you know there's churches where you know you can't buy a car unless you get the pastor's permission like what we that's <laughs> like what? kids ask me all the time dad who's going to the outreach who's going to the outreach so people they don't have to check in with me every time they're going to do or not do something. I don't know who's going or who's not. I know I'm going. I'm not talking about this out of control control. I'm talking about simple things where 
you know as well as I do, stay away from that causes the heart of man to want to go near it. And that's forbidden fruit is sweet. You desire what you're told not to desire. Verse 16 in Romans 4. Okay. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure. Bring all your works. You're going to have un, it's unsure. To the end, the promise might be sure. You say, I, I'll do my best. That's insecurity. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Salvation is of God, not of man. Salvation is by faith, not by law. Salvation is by grace, not by works. We all get that. Who do we look to? Christ and his finished work. That's it. We have to stop. I know, ladies, you make some great recipes and you take all these ingredients and you mix them together. And then when we have our, our, our supper night, we go, man, this is just great. What is in that? I've got to get that recipe. Or if you're like me, you just look forward to coming because the food's just so great. You just, you just justify overeating because it tastes so much. And it's just something about mixing ingredients together. You're like, man, this is just savory. Don't do that with salvation. Kind of point of Romans 4. God says, whatever you do, do not admix any of your own ingredients. Okay, because as soon as you start adding your ingredients, you mess up the recipe. And who's he the father of? You see that at the end of verse 16? We should all know this. Who is the father of us all? Who what? Believe. He's the father of those that believe. Verse 17, as it is written. I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Let's take a sidetrack. Let's go to the book of Galatians. We'll get chapter three. Are we brothers and sisters in Christ? Yes. Are we sharing in Abraham's inheritance? Yes. Not the land grant. The believing seed of faith. That's the heir. That's the promise. We are part of that believing seed of faith. Uh, Galatians 3. Look at verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. But by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ. That we might be justified by the faith of Christ. And not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That's like a verse in the Bible that you don't even have to preach or exposit on because it preaches itself, doesn't it? It's a phenomenal verse for someone to get a hold of how they're justified. You know how the Jehovah's Witness is going to be righteous? By doing the best they can. And then if, and instead of being annihilated. Meaning they die and that's just it. They'll have the hope of a resurrection of a physical body on a physical earth. 
because they believe their works are going to help them be resurrected. If you show them Galatians 3.16, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll have a, a verse around that, but I can't get over how you can't be. I just don't know how you can miss it by reading that verse. Look at verse 28. Uh, we'll be in chapter 3 now. I read you Galatians uh, chapter number 2 in verse number 16. Uh, it was a good verse, just you weren't reading what I was saying. Uh, chapter number 3. Chapter number 3, look at verse number 28. We'll be on the same page on this. Chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ. And here it is, the heirs part. If you be Christ's, then you're Abraham's seed. What seed? The believing seed. Not the physical descendant of Isaac's seed. The believing seed. And therefore, if you're Abraham's seed, what are you? Heirs according to the promise. Well, can't you fall from grace? Well, let's look at that. Go to Galatians 5. Well, I just think you can lose it. I mean, the Bible says you can fall from grace. Okay, well, let's look at it. Galatians chapter 5, look at verse number 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And when you read down, you'll come to verse uh, number 4. Christ is become of no effect unto you whosoever of you are justified by the law ye are fallen from grace verse 5 for we through the spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith so is verse number 4 telling you that you've fallen from grace and therefore you have lost your salvation because you fell from grace it's not we did a whole thing on Galatians. We, we completed that book last year. All Galatians 5 is telling you is that, yeah, you can fall from grace and be led astray to believe that law keeping, circumcision, and those types of things can somehow merit you righteousness in the eyes of God. In other words, when we talk about that recipe and you want to start mixing other things, that's the problem they had in Galatia. So Paul has to straighten them out. They were saved by grace, but now they're going to fall from grace because they're going to lead somebody astray and teach him. Yeah, you kind of have God's grace, but also don't forget you got circumcision. And they add mix rules and laws and commands into the grace of God. So that's all that means. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. See that verse 2, behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. It doesn't earn you any profit before God to be circumcised. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. You tell somebody they have to be circumcised to be justified before God. Now you tell them that they have to keep the entire law and nobody can do it. 
you just back yourself into a corner. And you know what you've done? You've fallen from grace. You added law into it. You mixed the whole thing up. And you're going to just lead people astray. Go to 1 Corinthians 4. In a sense, we have three fatherhoods. Abraham, the household of faith. Our father Abraham, that believing seed, you could you could say that. First Corinthians four. Look at verse number fifteen. It's a good verse. First Corinthians four fifteen. You see what it says? For though you have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Did Paul win people to Christ? Considered in a sense, father, have you won someone to Christ? You could be considered their father. Abraham, that believing seed, father. You know what both of those are? They're temporary is what they are. And both of them are earthly relationships. Father Abraham, someone won you to Christ, someone... Few men spent time with me to help me come to Christ. Those are physical relationships that end. You know what doesn't? God, our Father. That's the one that doesn't end. That's the important. That's the eternal. Or shall I say, that's the most important one. We're gleaning some truth from Abraham. And a few. Last thoughts. I'd like to look at this last verse in Romans 4. We're in verse number 17. It says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. We talked about that before him. Whom he believed. Belief in God, that's it. Even God who quickeneth the dead. So if you're not dead, you're quick. Remember that from Thursday night? And if you're not dead, you're, you're quickeneth. See, I don't have to tell you, I don't have to use another word for you to understand what quickeneth means. When modern versions change that word to mean alive, not only are they wrong to change it, they're wrong because that's not what quickeneth means. It doesn't mean to make alive. What do you mean by that? It means to make alive and never die again. You got something that God's going to do to you. You could be alive now, physically, and dead tomorrow. The word quickeneth is absolutely rendered correctly. And no amount of scholarship or philosophy of man should change the text. You are made alive to never die again. And that's a beautiful, glorious truth that we find in the scriptures. God quickeneth the dead. He calls into existence 
something that is non-existent. Let there be light. You know what he called it out of? Darkness. Who does that? God does. You know what you were? Dead in sins. He caused something to become alive in you to never die again. And he called you out of darkness into his glorious light. And he quickened you together and praise his holy name. Now that's a glorious truth to shout name and about. He gives life to the dead. And Abraham, all he did is he believed what God said. And you know what we're asking people to do? By the power of the Holy Spirit working through us, we are pleading with them, please believe God. Believe the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he died for you. You're a sinner. You're dead. But God can call you out, quicken you, and make you alive. Remember we talked about this last week? Isaac was the child of faith. Ishmael was the child of natural scheming. Man's better idea, but one better idea. Oh, where is it? Okay, look at this. Verse 19. This is good. Because we see we see uh, uh, in verse 17, who quickeneth the dead. Watch what it says in verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered his own body now dead. You know what Abraham's body was in its old age? It was dead. Watch what it says about Sarah. Uh, it was about 100 years old. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. God gave him a promise that was opposed to nature. A dead man with a dead body and a dead woman with a dead womb. And God came in and said, I promise I will quicken that. But they had a better idea, Ishmael. It didn't stop God from fulfilling his promise because Isaac shows up. And that was an heir, a promise, a seed of faith. Abraham and Sarai schemed a plan. They added something to the ingredients and they messed up. He believed, but then he didn't believe. Did he fall from grace? Yes, but not to lose his salvation. He didn't lose his righteousness. What did he lose? He lost the ability to influence his neighbor <laughs> because he. You say you believe God, you're going to do that? Didn't you tell me that God told you? Well, yeah, but I believe, but then I didn't believe. And isn't that like us? We believe. Something happens in our life. And people say, well, I thought you were a Christian. Yeah, I am, but I kind of messed up. We don't lose our salvation. We just fail to influence someone else. And that's kind of the, the problem. Romans 4, verses 13 to 17, an inheritance is in view. One last thought, we'll close out. Paul's searching. He's doing a title search, if you will. We have an eternal property, and it's located in heaven. And when you buy a house, or if you've bought a house, you can't legally enter that home until what? The title clears. You have a deed that states the owner's rights. And then you have a title that grants ownership rights. So you put a down payment on a house, right? 
And then the title company is going to verify that the seller can legally sell you that property and you can enter it legally. You know what he's going to do? He's going to do a search on that property to make sure there's no liens, to make sure there's no boundary disputes, to make sure there's no taxes owed, and to make sure without a doubt that the person who's selling it does indeed legally own it. And then once all that is cleared, then you have full assurance and rights to enter in. You and I have to clear title. Because if we die and God does a title search on us, you know what he's going to find? Debts to be paid. Boundaries are out of line. You and I went places we ought not go. And we're not going to clear title. And we're not going to be able to enter into God's presence. Except... If we have Jesus Christ as our advocate, and if God runs the title search and traces it back to a time that we believe and God imputed his righteousness to us, and we have Jesus Christ living in us, that is the only way we will have absolute assurance to clear title is if we have Jesus Christ, our advocate. And God's going to run that title search and it's going to come right back to his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yep. Clear, Lord. A hundred percent clear. He can enter into my presence. Praise his holy name that God's not running the dirty work on me because I don't stand a chance. You don't stand a chance. Our title is clear. Wiped clear by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's how you get in on the inheritance, and you can be an heir. It's a believing seed. All right, let's pray. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.